Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello and welcome to episode number 128 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And on today's show, we have more details to share with you about everything on how this year's NFL Draft will be conducted. And Tony, it's really one of the weirdest, actually, I should correct myself, it is the weirdest draft year that I've experienced since I've been covering the draft. Obviously, your purview goes a bit further back than mine. Do you remember anything like this? No, not at all. I I mean, you you know, it's especially in the day and age of social media and and the internet where the information is, you know, at everyone's fingertips instantaneously. I I mean, teams, teams are creatures of habit. And I think that they are really – Stepping into the unknown, a lot of uh, lot of debate and opinion as to what's going to happen and how it's going to go down. You know, obviously there's still a lot of excitement around the draft, but it's just going to be a different beast this year. You know, I've talked about how it's going to be like the uh, Major League Baseball draft. It's probably going to be even a little more boring than that compared to what it's uh, been in the past. And you know, I, I know I'm used to either doing TV or this year we're going to have that big show with the Pro Football Network. At the MGN, obviously, that's not happening. Granted, you got to put it all in context to what's happening out there in the real, real world, but it's definitely kind of taken, I think, a step back this year. Yeah, and as part of this kind of unprecedented situation we find ourselves in, earlier this week, the league did announce that the draft will be done 100% virtually. They will run a virtual mock draft for all the teams so that everybody can test out the technology beforehand and get rid of some bugs and things like that. Essentially, this is just a big fantasy football draft where a bunch of people sit on a conference call or at their computers and they're going to be drafting football players. One would think that you're going to have some hiccups, but the league isn't providing any sort of timeout or mulligan or anything like that for teams that have technological issues during the draft. Tony, what are you hearing about how this virtual draft is going to unfold? I mean, not a whole heck of a lot. I, like I had reported, and we had spoken about a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's going to be a bunch of guys that are either Skyping each other or, or you know, participating in a, in a Zoom conference as we are now, you know, and it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be very different. I'm sure there'll be, there'll be backups in case, uh, in case whatever they're using, whether it be Skype or Zoom, goes down. I do know this. You know, there are some general managers that are very concerned about it. There are some general managers that are actually happy about it. And, and they're happy about it because, you know, they don't want the head coach breathing down their neck or they won't have the head coach breathing down their neck about taking player XYZ when they want player ABC. So I know of some general managers that are like, you know, hey, this suits me fine. You know, I'll get everybody's input, but I'm going to get the player I want and I don't got to deal with, a, you know, a a whiny head coach per se, you know, we, we all remember, or you, 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 most people remember the story that broke after uh, the draft was over last year about uh, Adam Gase sitting in the corner and sulking and, and stay and reportedly staying out of uh, camera shot because he wanted nothing to do with the draft. Well, in a lot of ways, there are some general managers that are happy that's going to happen because they're going to make the decision and they're not going to have people pandering, well, not, not, not pandering is the wrong word. People uh, complaining that they, you know, they want a specific player. Now we have three shows left here before we do hit the NFL draft on Thursday, April 23rd. We're going to take the next two to run through our top five players at every position. But before we get to the offensive top fives this week, here's a quick word from our sponsor. The world of live sports may be shelved for now, Tony, but there's still plenty out there for those who want some action. 
While you're waiting this out at home with us, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. Even without the NBA, NHL, and MLB, BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, and BetOnline's new $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, there is still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100. That's M-Y-P-O-D-100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, as promised, we're going to run through the top five players at every position on the offensive side of the ball this week. We'll hit the defense next week, and obviously, we'll start under center naturally, where, at least for me, there's a two quarterbacks here at the top. I don't think I'm alone in saying that Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa of LSU and Alabama, respectively, are the top two quarterbacks on my board. Right now, I do have Burrow a little bit higher, but most of that is because we don't know where Tua's health stands. Um, he's still going to try to have a pro day at some point. Tony might have more on the status of that. I read a report earlier today, actually, we're recording this on Wednesday, and I read a report earlier today that a couple teams flunked him on his physical. So we really don't know the status of his injuries, especially the hip. We don't know how that's going to affect his mobility, which is one of the major advantages he has over Joe Burrow. Burrow can run a little bit. He can get outside the pocket, but he's not a scrambler. He's not a guy that's going to make plays with his legs. But the most impressive thing about Burrow to me is his pocket presence, the ability to maneuver his feet within the pocket, reset and make throws. Tom Brady-esque in that sense. I'm not trying to compare him to the quarterback that many people feel is the greatest of all time, but he is very Tom Brady-esque in that sense. Great accuracy. I mean, these guys are in a class of their own here. I mean, both of them can hit plays downfield. They've had a lot of explosive players around them. So they've had help, but they've done a lot themselves. I mean, what Joe Burrow did this year after, you know, what, us and a lot of other people were saying about him over the summer was just amazing. Everyone thought maybe he's going to slow down at some point. He didn't. Ends up winning the Heisman Trophy. Throws like 60 touchdown passes. I mean, just a completely ridiculous season for him. And, and both of these guys really have what it takes to be franchise quarterbacks. The question, at least with Tua, is health. Well, I still have Tua rated slightly higher than Burrow. Burrow had a fantastic campaign. You have to, He's got to be applauded, and he was highly rewarded. And the brighter the lights got the better Joe Burrow played. I like his confidence. I like his moxie. I am concerned, though, that he only did it for one year. Now, you always want to get a quarterback when they're on their upswing, and there's no doubt about it that Joe Burrow's on the upswing. But remember, Baker Mayfield came into his senior season, graded higher, slightly higher than Joe Burrow, had a knockout senior campaign at Oklahoma, was the first pick of the draft, has never able, was never able to really recapture that. Now, I like Joe Burrow. Better, than, uh, uh, better as a prospect than like Baker Mayfield. I always thought Baker Mayfield was more of a novelty and overrated. But I still have my concerns about Burrow. I have my concerns about his downfield passing, his downfield accuracy, like his moxie, like his confidence. I think Cleveland's a great fit for him. I just think Tua Tagliavoe was a better quarterback. He's a better all-around quarterback. Obviously, the, uh, the health is going to be an issue. And each team is going to look at it differently. And there are some teams – that are very concerned about Tagliavoe's hip, specifically the hip. They're, they're concerned about his health uh, overall in general because it's, it's more than the hip. It's, knees, it's knee injuries in the past and ankle injuries. But there are some teams that are very concerned about that hip issue, and I continue to hear it being compared to Dennis Pitta, the former tight end who had a similar uh, hip situation, tried to return twice, and never did. We'll have to wait and see. But – you know, as we've seen time and time again, and, and as I know, with medical issues, not every team looks at it the same. So while there could be 25 teams that red flag them or, or say, you know, no good, if, five, if, if there are seven teams that like them, you know, one of those teams, if they're in the top uh, five, they're going to take two of them. And as we like to say on the show, it only takes one. So as Tony's saying, 95% of the league could flag Tua. If one team doesn't and they have a high pick, he still ends up going high in the draft. And that could also be the case with the guy who's the third-ranked quarterback on my board, and that's Justin Herbert, a guy who we've talked about 
on the show constantly, has all the physical ability that you want. Showed well at the combine in terms of athleticism and you know, proving that he'll be able to get out of the pocket, escape, and scramble at the NFL level, but he never took that big step up in a big moment. There might be NFL teams that agree with us and feel that way and say, oh, Justin Herbert, we're, you know, we're going to shy away from him a little bit in the top 10, but it only takes a couple teams to say, you know what, we're not worried about that. We like what we've, you know, gotten from talking to him and, and working with him. And, you know, we like what we have to work with with Justin Herbert. Fourth on my board is Jordan Love out of Utah State. Obviously, this season was not what last season was. He lost pretty much the entire offense around him, was pressing, tried to do a little too much. The marijuana arrest in between him declaring for the draft and the bowl game is something that he'll have to answer to or probably had to answer to already two, four teams. But I mean, the guy has all the arm talent in the world. I don't want to make a comparison to Patrick Mahomes, but that's his playing style. Maybe he's not going to ever reach that level as a player. Most likely won't, but that's the way he plays. Sandlot football, moving around, throwing from different arm angles, all the arm talent in the world to make all the throws. And my number five quarterback, this is kind of tough. It was close for me between Jalen Hurts and Jacob Eason, but I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts just because a lot of the things you said about Joe Burrow, the moxie, the confidence, I want that in my starting quarterback. I don't necessarily think either of these guys are more than, you know, a high-level backup spot starter type of player, but Jacob Eason has accuracy concerns. He really struggles in a lot of areas there, decision-making as well, whereas Jalen Hurts, you know what, maybe he doesn't have the greatest arm in the world. He's took till his senior year in a wide-open offense to really break out, so that's a concern. But if you're going to make me choose between one of those two guys, I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts. We'll start with Herbert. Herbert's going to go a lot earlier than people think right now. There is a lot of love for Justin Herbert uh, in the NFL community. And I understand it to a point. I, I mean, he was the highest rated senior coming into the season. He got a huge grade, a, a very early uh, first round grade. And he was well liked last year. I mean, there were teams that were ready to jump all over Justin Herbert a year ago. In my opinion, he is the prototypical boomer bust type of quarterback. I mean, he's a guy who we, you could make the argument is the most complete quarterback, the complete package at the quarterback position that compared to any other quarterback in this draft. When you look at the physical skills, the arm strength, the ability to make plays with his arm or legs, the ability to make to withstand the rush in the pocket, the ability to get outside the pocket, make the throw on the move or pick up yardage uh, when there's nothing else available. He's smart. He's poised. But as we said, ad nauseum, I, I mean, he just never lives up to expectations, which is why I think it's going to be very important as far as the city he plays in, as well as the coach that he has, because he's going to need a lot of handholding. Now, everyone's talking about him going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, and I said to somebody very close to the situation, you know, is there a concern that he ends up in Los Angeles? And they're like, well, it's more Orange County. It's outside Los Angeles. And it'd be great there because he'd end up on the West Coast. So that's an opinion from someone close to Justin Herbert, which leads me to think, okay, fine. Maybe a, a, a quote unquote big city like the Los Angeles Chargers, although the Chargers have never been a big market, you know, may not be as bad for him as I think. Uh, Jordan Love is my number four quarterback. Jordan Love, I think right now, as I reported yesterday in the uh, in a mailbag at Pro Football Network, could go as early to the Raiders with that 19th pick. I don't think he gets past the New Orleans Saints because the Saints eventually have to address their quarterback position for the future. There is some thought out there that Jordan Love could be this year's version of Drew Locke in the sense that he's a player that everyone's predicting is going to go first round, but he could fall into the second round. I don't agree with that, but there is that, opi that opinion is out there in the league amongst a, lot, uh, amongst a few people. I spoke with someone else again tonight who said that to me. I think that there are so many quarterback needy teams starting with the 19th pick, really going through the, uh, the 24th selection, that he's going to end up there. But again, there's an opinion out there by some who feel that Jordan Love could be this year's Drew Locke and ends up in round two. I have Jacob Eason as my number five quarterback uh, ahead of Jalen Hurts, primarily because I like Jacob Eason's physical skills. I like his arm strength. He's probably got the strongest arm of any of the top quarterbacks. He, he does have a bit of downside risk. And I was also... Very concerned with the play of Jalen Hurts at the Senior Bowl. I gushed all over. I gushed over Jalen Hurts all season long because he played wonderfully at Oklahoma. I thought he was really starting to pull it together as a passer. Then we went through three days of practice at the Senior Bowl, where he had to play in an NFL-type system, 
and he failed. He failed miserably. He made some good passes on the final day of practice, but the first two days were atrocious, which led me to believe that Jalen Hurts still has a ways to go before he's going to be NFL ready. I think Jacob Eason's got a ways to go as well, but I think Jacob Eason with that size and with that arm strength uh, is probably going to uh, be able to get away a, a with a lot worse or, or, or basically will be able to do more because of that arm strength. Now, Tony, before we move on to the running back position here, do you have any news on some of these quarterback prospects? I already mentioned uh, Jordan Love, how some people think that he could be this year's Drew Locke. Uh, no one I've spoken to has Jacob Beeson going in the first round. I've heard anywhere from mid to late second round. He could still end up in the first round. You never know because he is the big, strong-arm quarterback, but no one I've spoken with uh, has him in the first round. James Morgan, who we interviewed on this show a couple of weeks ago, and I said he was, he was uh, moving up draft boards, he is basically almost universally thought of as the top of that third-tier quarterbacks. He's probably going to be James Morgan, the first quarterback off the board on day three. I have him as a fifth-round pick right now. There are some teams that think James Morgan of FIU could go in the fourth round, which is a good thing to see. Two names to remember. One I've spoken about in the past, Ben DiNucci of James Madison. There are a lot of teams that have Ben DiNucci as a seventh-round pick. So there's a good chance that Ben DiNucci lands in the seventh round. If not, he's going to be a priority free agent. Another quarterback that people like, I'm on the opposite of, uh, uh, end of this, but a lot of people like Nathan Rourke of Ohio. And teams are telling me that they think that Nathan Rourke, the Ohio quarterback, could end up as a seventh-round pick. Now, Nathan Rourke is more of your RPO type of quarterback, a guy who is as adept uh, making plays with his legs as he is throwing the ball. Uh, which is one of the reasons why people like him as a late round selection, maybe a number two, uh, a number three, potential number two quarterback at the next level. Now move through the other positions a bit quicker here. Obviously quarterback is always going to take a lot because there's so much that goes into the position. We'll move into the running backs here. I'm just going to list my top five with a quick synopsis on them and throw it over to Tony for his top five and, and any news with the running back position as well. My number one running back, a guy that a lot of people may not have at the top. I have Jonathan Taylor there. I know Tony's going to disagree with me, but I look at him and I see a player junior year, no real receiving production. Senior year, a lot more production. Not the most natural receiver in the world, but he's able to make plays when it happens. I mean, he's made a couple back shoulder catches at the goal line and things like that. So you can tell he's worked on that part of his game. And if he can even be a functional receiver, the combination of his size at over 220 pounds and his athleticism combined with just the production he has obviously a lot of carries a lot of wear on his tires is a concern but I mean this guy for his rookie contract which at this point is all running backs are good for in the NFL for his rookie contract I think he can be an excellent number one back on a team my number two is DeAndre Swift out of Georgia best receiver out of these group of guys maybe Clyde Edwards-Alaire has a little bit to say about that as well but obviously Swift is very fast he's very quick he's a good athlete even though he didn't test super well at the combine but he's another guy a slashing type of back with receiving capabilities that should be a good NFL feature back my number three is J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State a guy we've discussed a lot on the show may not have that same top end speed has somebody like DeAndre Swift kind of wish he had tested at the combine so he could have seen his athleticism but excellent vision very good receiver good pass blocker three down back and another solid player. My number four, I teased it a little before, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. Really good receiver. A lot of receiving production this year. Just a bowling ball on the inside. He's short, but he is not small. He is thick. He runs low. He stays behind his pads. And he's powerful. He's quick. You know what? He ran a 4-6 at the combine. But if you watch his tape, he's not the kind of guy that's going to beat you with speed. So for me, that's not a worry. My number five back in this class, it's kind of a little teardrop there. I'm going to go to Cam Akers of Florida State former quarterback in high school. The instincts as a runner still need a little bit of work, but you saw him improve this year compared to where he was earlier in his Florida State career. That offensive line did him no favors. And in the end, very good athlete, tested that way at the combine, has some good receiving ability as well. If he can put it all together as a runner, improve his vision, improve his instincts, I think he can really help an NFL team. My number one back is DeAndre Swift. And I think universally when I spoke with teams, DeAndre Swift, I don't know of any team that doesn't have DeAndre Swift as the number one back in the draft. May not be by a whole lot or as much as I have him as the number one back. Um, but, you know, people say, well, he didn't test well. He ran a 4.48 at 212 pounds. I think people were just blinded by Jonathan Taylor's phenomenal straight line speed. Uh, the thing with Swift is 
Most teams I've spoken with, I have them graded as a first-round pick. Most teams I spoke with have him graded as a late first-round pick. The question is, does he go in the first round? It won't be because of the fact that he's not first-round worthy. It will be because the team just, you know, teams just think they can get the, uh, a running back later on, uh, which is basically the norm these days. My number two back is Jonathan Taylor. Uh, you know, I, I think the difference between uh, DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor is Jonathan Taylor, for all his great breakaway speed in a straight line, really can't turn the perimeter, struggles getting around the corner, where DeAndre Swift is a much more natural outside runner, better runner in space. And J.K. Dobbins, a guy who really didn't run too fast at Ohio State, but as far as I'm concerned, is probably the most complete back in this draft. He's not as fast as Swift. He's not going to hit the home. He's not going to uh, run the daylight like Swift. He's not going to guy that's going to grind it out all the time on the inside uh, the way Jonathan Taylor does. But when you look at his combination of running, pass catching, and especially blocking, I think J.K. Dobbins is the most complete back in this draft, and he's going to surprise a lot of people at the next level. One of those guys who could be a better NFL player than he was a college player, and he was a damn good college runner at Ohio State. Like you, my number four guy is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You know, he's got you know he's a shorter guy. He's not the fastest guy, but you know everyone talked about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, understandably so. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire came up big so many times in so many games for LSU. Uh, and really, I don't think got the just uh, credit that he deserved, primarily because it was all going to Joe Burrow, right or wrong. We can we can go argue about that, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire really had a big say in helping LSU uh, win that national championship. It really falls off for me. Those four guys are the only uh, top 60 guys on my board. Then I got Eno Benjamin of Arizona State as my number five back, who's a fourth rounder. I think Benjamin had a difficult senior season, but he really pulled it together at the senior bowl. I thought he really showed well at the senior bowl, kind of what we were expecting during the season. A guy who was tough on the inside, doesn't have the great speed, but he's quick enough to turn, turn the corner. Good pass catcher out of the backfield, did a solid job blocking. I don't think, you know, Benjamin's a feature runner at the next level, but I think he's going to be a darn good situational runner and, and, and an occasional spot starter. Now, Tony, kind of like the quarterbacks, are you hearing anything about the running back position beyond what you said about DeAndre Swift? I think two surprises. There were some teams, I have Anthony McFarlane graded in that fourth round area. I think he's going to be a great space runner. But there are some teams that are very down on Anthony McFarlane. There, there are a couple teams that grade him as a seventh rounder, potential priority free agent. If it gets to that point, I think that could end up being one of the steals of the draft. Conversely to that, there are a lot of teams who really like J.J. Taylor of Arizona and have him graded as a fourth potential, uh, a fourth or fifth round pick. Now, I've got Taylor as a free agent. He was a guy who, you know, while he ran hard on the inside and he was a tough runner at Arizona, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not really that fast. He ran uh, terribly so with the combine. But it is interesting to note that there were some teams out there that have Taylor of Arizona uh, graded as high as the uh, as the fourth round. I mean, comes to the combine, five ten and a half, hundred eighty five pounds, runs a four six one. You know, I don't know what you do with them, but there are some teams that like them. Yeah, I mean, I would probably swap those two as well. Um, personally, I like McFarland. I didn't love Taylor when I watched him, but you know, I, sometimes NFL teams are going to look at things a certain way, and and we just have to kind of work with that. We're going to move to the wide receiver position now, and I think there's a very clear top two. At wide out. Beyond that, you can really jumble a bunch of guys together. I think boards are going to look very different in a lot of scenarios. My number one receiver is CD Lamb. My number two is Jerry Judy. And this was extremely close for me. CD Lamb really makes his money after the catch. Um, he's extremely difficult to bring down. Doesn't have that same top end speed that Jerry Judy does. He isn't going to take the top off of the defense. He's not going to get behind the defense, but he can win out in contested situations. And again, what he does after the catch with the ball in his hands. He also has some return experience as well, which tends to translate well at the wide receiver position. Puts him number one on my board, but just barely compared to Jerry Judy, who the separation that he creates in his routes is elite. It is easily the best in this class. And while a lot of people were disappointed in how he tested at the combine, you know what? You watch him on tape. Maybe he doesn't have that 4-3-5 speed, but you don't expect him to. He doesn't need to have that kind of speed. 
the explosion and the quickness that he has coming out of his routes, how sharp his breaks are, really allows him to create several yards of separation. And it's, cornerbacks aren't going to be able to catch up with him because it's not as if he's a poor athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Just didn't test super great, but people aren't going to catch up to him after the separation he creates. Now is when it starts to get a little interesting. My number three receiver is T. Higgins out of Clemson. Very disappointed that he didn't test at the combine, especially because he kind of had a lame excuse that he was tired. Uh, I really would have liked to see him play out there because he shows pretty good athleticism on tape for a guy who runs 6'4", 216 pounds, obviously wins the ball in the air. He can get down the field. He can get behind the defense. And once he's downfield, he'll separate with size. He'll win out for the contested ball. He just makes big plays. He's a gamer. And I like T. Higgins a lot. My number four wide receiver, sticking with the LSU theme we've kind of had going here, is Justin Jefferson. Just a solid overall player. Ran very well at the combine. I don't think many people were expecting him to run a 4-4-3, but he did. He runs sharp routes. He was used a lot more as an underneath kind of possession style receiver at LSU, but I think he has more capabilities than that. They were just using Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall as more of the downfield guys. I do think Jefferson has the speed to threaten deep. I do think if you get the ball in his hands, he can make plays happen after the catch as well. And my number five receiver, probably the guy most people have at number three, is Henry Ruggs out of Alabama. I mean, he is a pure speedster, whether you're throwing the ball deep to him on a, on a fly route, whether you're getting him the ball underneath or on a slant and hoping that he takes it to the house. He does all that very well. He's also a somewhat natural receiver. For me, I look at him and I compare him to somebody from last year, Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. I liked Marquise Brown a little bit better as a player, as a natural receiver. Obviously, Ruggs has about 15 to 20 pounds on Marquise Brown, but I liked Marquise Brown better last year. And the difference between Higgins, Jefferson, and Ruggs for me is very small, but that's my top five. Tony, where do you stand? Well, I'm going to flip the top two, but I agree. They're neck and neck on my board. I mean, Jerry Judy's number one. As you said, his route running ability, his ability to hit the home run, ran a four, four or five at the combine, but he plays faster than that. Uh, I do have concerns about Jerry Judy. As I wrote a piece before the combine uh, at Pro Football Network, he's a guy who needs space to work. He's not good in a crowded area. He's not good against physical, physical defensive acts. So I think an offensive coordinator at the next level is going to have to be aware of that. C.D. Lamb doesn't have that speed. He's not going to hit the home run, but he consistently comes away with the contested catch. I think with C.D. Lamb, it's now about you know transitioning to a more traditional offense, an NFL type of offense versus the wide open system he played at in uh, Oklahoma. Kind of have to hold my nose and put Henry Ruggs number three. I'm not a big Henry Ruggs guy. I think he's got some upside, but I think he's got a lot of downside as well. I, I mean, I think he was more opportunistic than he was a real good receiver at Alabama. I think there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road, but he's got great natural skills. I mean, he blew the combine away as people expected him to be. My number four receiver is going to shock a lot of people. And this is a guy who I absolutely love. And I'm sorry he didn't get to run before the draft, but that is KJ Hamler of Penn State. Now, I know a lot of people teams I've spoken with think he is a second rounder and he may end up as a second round selection. Uh, but the fact of the matter is KJ Hamler uh, just continually, continually blew me away on film for the past two years. He's a home run hitter. He can score from any point in the field when the ball's in his hands, he can score as a receiver on reverses as a return specialist, even though he's five, eight and a half, 178 pounds, he's a tough receiver. He fights to come away with the contested grab. Now, granted, he's going to be overmatched at the next level. But I think what you got to do is you got to get him in space, put him in slot, put him in the slot, line him up behind the line of scrimmage so he gets a running start. I think K.J. Hamlin is going to be a darn good receiver at the next level. And then I've got Justin Jefferson. I think Jefferson uh, answered a lot of questions or potential concerns at the uh, combine with the 4-4-3 that he ran, as you mentioned. And as we know about LSU receivers, they turn out to be much better players in the NFL than they were on the college level. Now, Tony, at the receiver position, what are you hearing about some of these guys? Number one, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody, but the fastest rising receiver is Denzel Mims of Baylor. He's a guy who can go a lot earlier than people are projecting right now. Surprisingly, there are a lot of teams that have still have Chase Claypool graded as a tight end 
Maybe I should have mentioned that when we talked about the tight ends, but Chase Claypool is known as a receiver. Granted, there was talk about him moving to the tight end position before the combine, and he had that great workout at the combine. There were still some teams that grade uh, Chase Claypool as a tight end at the next level. Uh, I have not spoken with anybody that has Tyler Johnson graded earlier than the fourth round. In fact, there are some teams that grade Tyler Johnson of Minnesota as a fifth rounder. We all know the story about Tyler Johnson. He's a terrific receiver at Minnesota. There were questions about his speed. Didn't get the senior bowl invite. Uh, didn't uh, participate in the Shrine game because he wanted to play in the senior bowl. Then didn't work out of the combine. So no one knows what his true speed are. But right now, teams are grading uh, Tyler Johnson as a fourth, fifth round pick. Just about every team that I've spoken with has Antonio Gibson of Memphis on their receiver board. Now, it's interesting in the sense that Gibson was a good receiver. Gibson was a guy who wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year. Uh, had a terrific year at receiver. Played the last game of the year, the title game, I believe it was, AAC title game for Memphis at running back. Went to the senior bowl as a running back. Worked out uh, with the receivers of the combine. Just about every team I've spoken with has Antonio Gibson graded on their receiver board. Now we'll move on to the other pass catchers on offense, and that is the tight end position. And this year's draft, really not great in terms of tight end talent. Last year, you had a couple guys go in the first round. That's probably not going to happen this year. I shouldn't even say probably. It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and tight end boards across the league, they could be kind of jumbled up. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some teams' number one tight end be number three or number four on other boards. For me, my number one guy is Cole Komet out of Notre Dame. And this isn't just about how well he tested at the combine. The guy really plays with a my ball mentality on the field. He wants that ball. He's going to attack it in the air. He's going to take it down. He's a solid blocker. He's got good size. He's going to run over defenders here and there. And frankly, he's just a very good pass catcher. Very few drops on film. Shows the ability to get downfield, which was confirmed by that aforementioned combine testing. So for me, Cole Komet is number one. A close number two is Adam Troutman out of Dayton, friend of the podcast who we chatted with a couple weeks ago. Now, Troutman, obviously, you're going to have the level of play concerns, but he went to the Senior Bowl, and he played extremely well there. He really showed himself to be a very solid second-day pick. I think he should end up going in the second round. You know, a guy, again, pretty good size. His athleticism in terms of 40-yard dash explosion wasn't great, but he ran the three-cone in under seven seconds, and you can see that when he runs routes. He's very quick in and out of his breaks. He's very sharp when he runs routes, and that stands out even on FCS-level film. My number three tight end is Albert Okwebenam out of Missouri. Didn't have the same season in 2019 with Kelly Bryant under center as he did in 2018 with, um, with Drew Locke under center, who went to the NFL and was drafted in the second round by the Broncos. Tony mentioned him earlier as well. But Alberto, I mean, you know, ran a 4.49 at the combine, kind of shut it down after that. But you watch his film, not only does he have the speed to get downfield, he, he kind of looks big when he runs, but you can still see the athleticism. I mean, his balance and coordination, his ability just as a functional athlete is very good. Could use some work as a blocker in some scenarios, but has the size to be able to get more out of that and does have the pass catching ability to be an effective starter as well. My number four tight end is Hunter Bryant out of Washington. It's kind of a little bit of a teardrop from my top three to my next two guys, simply because I have questions, obviously, about Hunter Bryant as a blocker. And frankly, he's a guy who won on athleticism, made big plays at Washington, but then he didn't really test that well at the combine. It doesn't worry me a ton, but his film's also littered with drops here and there. So I'm a little bit concerned about Hunter Bryant, but if he develops into the player that he has the potential to be, it's going to look kind of silly having him low on tight end boards. And my number five guy is the other H Bryant, Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic. Similar size issues to Hunter Bryant in terms of he's not 270 pounds like the top three guys on my board. Has some drop issues on film as well, but also shows strong hands at times. So you'd hope that those drops might be just focus, concentration, something that he can get rid of at the NFL level. But he's a guy also that can develop into a starter at the next level. Those are my top five. Tony, what about you? Well, I like you. My number one guy is Cole Komet. And when he ran the 4-7-1 at the Combine, that answered a lot of my concerns about his speed because I, I was concerned he was going to be a guy who was going to run the four rates, 262 pounds, six foot six inches tall, four, seven, one, the way he catches the ball. I mean, he plays the tight end position like a receiver. 
Uh, again, I agree with you. You're looking at a second round pick. There are no first rounders at the tight end position, probably in the mid second round for Cole Komet, who'll be the first tight end off the board. I have Albert O graded slightly higher than Adam Troutman. And the reason is this three tenths of a second in the 40 and Albert O plays fast. I mean, he plays the, the tight end position like a big possession receiver. Now there were some questions about, you know, how much he loves football. We've talked about it a couple of times in the past on this podcast. He's a guy that's a very smart guy. He has a future in medicine uh, and, and there's concerns about that, but six, five and a half, 258 pounds, you're running on the four or five. More importantly, you're pa- playing that fast. I, I mean, that really projects well. That's what the NFL wants to in these day, this day and age uh, at the tight end position. I then have Adam Troutman, who we had on this podcast, as you mentioned, a guy who really uh, – I'm not concerned about his step up in competition. I, I, you know, we've talked to him. We know he's a motivated guy. I spoke with his coach, with his parents. Uh, I mean, he's going to do very well at the next level. My concern is, is that he's a guy who runs in the high four sevens and he plays for that. He's going to be a very good tight end. I just don't think he's going to be a seam stretcher the way Cole Komet or, or, or Albert O is. Harrison Bryant is my number four tight end. I think he's a guy who's going to be a very good tight end at the next level, but I think he's a scheme specific player. Absolutely has to improve his blocking. And then I got Bryson Hopkins, number five, a guy who could go third round. I have him as a third, fourth rounder right now, a guy who's a sensational athlete and is developing into a tight end, but needs a good amount of work on his game. Now, Tony, we had four of those five guys the same. What are you hearing from NFL teams as far as how their tight end boards stack up? It's pretty much basically the same. I, I, I mean, there's some that have Adam Troutman of, ahead of Albert O. Uh, there's some people that have got Hunter Bryant of Washington ahead of Harrison Bryant of Florida Atlantic. But there's not a whole change. Two sleeper names to keep an eye on. Both guys that I have rated and both guys where you can find scouting reports on these players at uh, Pro Football Network. Ahmad Wagner of Kentucky, who was actually a receiver at Kentucky. Not a guy that was very productive, had uh, 15 receptions last year uh, for 254 yards with two touchdowns. Wasn't a big part of the Kentucky offense, but he goes about 6'4", 235 pounds. He's got 4'6 speed, although he was never officially timed. Ahmad Wagner's a guy I have him as a free agent. There are some teams who think he could be selected in the middle of day three because he's such a good developmental move tight end prospect. So Wagner's a guy that's never get uh, never talked about, but there are some teams that have him in the middle of day three. Another guy who I've actually had graded for three years now, came into the season, was not even mentioned by scouts, Noah Tagaye of Oregon State. Had 44 receptions for 406 yards and three TDs. A guy who's a, a real good – he's solid in all areas. Solid pass catcher, solid blocker. Had a good pro day. I wrote about it at Pro Football Network. You're looking at a potential uh, late-round late pick, seventh-round pick, and someone who could be a number three tight end. But, again, someone in Tagaye who was not graded by scouts coming into the year and is really not mentioned uh, outside of scouting circles, he could find his name called – in the closing selections of round seven. Now we'll finish off this episode of top fives by hitting the offensive line spots. But first a message from our sponsor here at the draft analyst. We're super excited to work with true classic tees style is changing formal wears out and the t-shirt is in, especially as zoom chats replace in-person meetings at companies across the country. Based in LA true classic tees is a t-shirt company that's on the rise. Their t-shirts are fitted and soft. They hold up in the wash and they're incredibly versatile. You could wear them out. You can wear them to work out or you can wear them around the house. A place where most of us are feeling quite stuck at at this present moment. And the best part, they're incredibly cheap. Gone are the days of paying $30 for a t-shirt. True Classic Tees are only $15 and now you can get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com and use our code BLEAV at checkout for 20% off your order. That's believe BLEAV at trueclassictees.com for 20% off your order. And Tony, just a little update on my laundry situation I mentioned last week. We actually purchased an in-home washer dryer, so we can now wash up to eight pounds of laundry without leaving the house. And I won't be as stinky as you thought I was last week. There you go. See the luxuries of city living. Uh, I'm sure you're happy and I'm sure your wife is even happier about that news. 
Oh yeah, big big news. Uh, moving along here, though, from my own New York City centric shelter in place problems, we'll get to the offensive tackle spot, which really is quite loaded at the top. As we've discussed several times on the show over the past few months, every player that we're going to mention here most likely is going to be a first round pick. My personal top five. I'm going to start with Tristan Wirfs. Obviously, he blew up the combine. Yes, he's more of a right tackle, but pass rushers line up on both sides of the line these days. So Tristan Wirfs can still have an impact as a pass blocker. Obviously, the athleticism is there. And frankly, if he doesn't work out at tackle, you can put him in at guard, and he is a very high floor player at that position. So it's hard to see Tristan Wirfs fully busting as a high pick in the draft. My number two tackle in this class is Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. Very patient in pass protection, has good feet, adjusting to defenders. He's a good athlete. He moves very well. He gets to the second level as well and, and does some things there. So very aware in terms of picking up twists and stunts and other things and wrinkles that the defense may throw at him. So Andrew Thomas is my number two offensive tackle and a guy that can definitely stick on the left side. My number three is Makai Becton. Obviously a mountain of a man as a right tackle, ran extremely well at the combine. I mean, the athleticism he shows with the size, he's kind of consistently gotten better throughout his time at Louisville. He's not a guy who's going to move around very well. I mean, when you're 360 pounds, that's just the reality of your position. But Becton is an excellent player who should also go very high in the draft, possibly even in the top 10. My number four tackle is Jedrick Wills Jr. out of Alabama, a very good athlete, a guy that we've discussed NFL teams looking at as potentially a guard at the next level. I think for now that's a fallback option, kind of like Wirfs. Let him play tackle. Let him see if the athleticism can translate and if he can play that position. If not, then you can kick him back inside to guard after that. And my number five offensive tackle is Austin Jackson out of USC, a guy that I know Tony has been very high on. For the past couple of years, really good athlete again at combine testing, like all of these other guys. And, you know, a guy that he needs to kind of grow into his body a little bit. He's going to have to improve as a run blocker. He's not the strongest, but as a guy who's a pure left tackle, you want that guy who's going to protect the quarterback's blind side. And Austin Jackson can absolutely do that. Tony, what about your top five? Yeah, my guys are all tightly bunched. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is separated from the from the pack, but not by a, he, a whole heck of a lot. A guy who's a right tackle, I think maybe able to play left tackle, obviously blew up the combine. Then Mekki Benton, who is slightly ahead of Andrew Thomas, who is slightly ahead of Jedrick Wills, who is slightly ahead of Austin Jackson. Now, I know I've got Austin Jackson rated much higher than a lot of people. There are some teams out there that tell me they wouldn't take him until the middle of the second round, but I'm a traditionalist in the sense that I really put a high premium on left tackles. And that's what Austin Jackson is. He's a sensational left tackle. Yeah, he needs some work. There's no doubt about it. But remember, you know, the draft is just the beginning. So if Austin Jackson ends up bottom half of round one or even round two, you know, that, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. I think Austin Jackson, uh, when you look at a lot of these guys at the tackle position, he's got a huge upside. I think two or three years down the road with proper coaching, with more physical development in his game, it's going to be an outstanding starting tackle in the NFL. Now we'll get to some news on the offensive tackles, but Tony, first I want to ask you a quick question and then just go right into the news. When you say that teams are lower on Jackson than you, do they have another tackle ahead of him or they just don't view him as a potential first round pick? No, the, the, other, the tackle that sometimes gets mentioned, uh, two of them, uh, one of them we've got some news on, one of them is Josh Jones of Houston, which I have Jones much lower rated. And the other one is Isaiah Wilson of Georgia, uh, who at one point in time I had graded as a potential late first-round pick. Uh, the reason I came off of that is when you watch Isaiah Wilson, he is solely a right tackle. I mean, he is your traditional big-bodied, uh, immobile right tackle prospect. Now, there is some thought that Isaiah Wilson could end up in the late part of round one. And if he ends up in the late part of round one, the team that most people think he's going to end up with, when I say people, people in the league, would be the Tennessee Titans. They think that that Titans will take Isaiah Wilson late in round one as the replacement for Jack Conklin, who they lost in free agency. Now, Tony, any other news on the offensive tackles? I think right now it would be a bigger surprise if Ezra Cleveland falls out of the first round, then if he ends up in the late first round from what I'm hearing, I mean, it, it's not a foregone conclusion, but the, the vast majority of the chatter is 
he's going to end up somewhere late in round one, maybe to the Miami Dolphins with that, with their last of the first round picks, maybe to a team that trades back into the round in round one to get him, maybe to the Kansas city chiefs who take him with the last pick. But I think right now, the big surprise, it would be a bigger surprise if Ezra Cleveland falls out of the first round uh, than if he's selected in the first round, which is, you know, uh, a, a lot different than the conversation. We were just, you know, people were talking about two months ago. I consistently said that Ezra Cleveland was going to blow up the combine, which he did, and then would start to get more and more chatter as a first rounder, which he is. And it looks like right now, it's it's not 100%, but it's probably close to 95%. The other player that a lot of people like that's going to go much earlier than expected is Ben Barch, uh, the small school offensive tackle from uh, St. John's, who really had a terrific senior ball, as we saw. Uh, he's a guy who I don't think he's going to go second round, but he's going to be off the board somewhere in the middle of round three. Uh, the final piece of news shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, I had said after the combine that I didn't think Trey Adams was going to get drafted because of the fact that he tested just so abysmally and you've got all the issues uh, with the medicals. I do have Trey Adams as a seventh rounder. I don't know of any team out there that I spoke with that has Trey Adams higher or has a higher grade on Trey Adams than a seventh round pick or, or a seventh round prospect, which is Kind of unbelievable when you think about it, because two years ago, as we moved into the 2018 season, Trey Adams was graded as the number one senior prospect uh, in the land, barring any position. I mean, he was the number one guy, uh, no positions uh, broken down. And now it looks like he's hanging on to be a seventh round pick. Yeah, I mean, injuries are obviously the story when it comes to Trey Adams. And, you know, it can show you really how far you can fall if you're not playing at your full physical peak. We'll move to the interior offensive line here, combine both the guards and the centers into one. My number one interior lineman is Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan, a guy we discussed a couple times during the season. I mean, if you watch him play, he stands out because he moves so well for a center, whether he's moving laterally on pulls whether he's getting out to the second level to affect linebackers after chipping at the line. He's got good jolt on initial contact, really strong hands as well. Doesn't really have that size that you truly want, but everything else is there for Cesar Ruiz. My number two interior offensive lineman is Tyler Biadas. Not really a guy who's going to be powerful in the run game, sort of similar to Ruiz in that sense where he's a good mover. He's a guy who can get out to the second level. He can get push on linebackers. At the second level, not necessarily defensive lineman at the point, though. He anchors well as well if you're going to pick up a blitz from a linebacker. So he's my number two interior offensive lineman. My number three interior offensive lineman is Matt Hennessy out of Temple. And again, a guy who's kind of in that similar vein here. Not a guy who's going to really push guys off the line of scrimmage. Doesn't have great size, but really progressed well at Temple. And a guy who moves well really can pull, can get to the second level. Again, these are some athletic centers in this year's class. My final two interior offensive linemen are kind of the opposite. They are mauling guards rather than athletic centers. The first one for me is John Simpson out of Clemson, the guy that had his share of struggles in 2018, but he's a very powerful guy. He can pull between the tackles. He's not going to get outside the tackle. He's not going to get to the second level that well, but he can pull one or two gaps in the line of scrimmage and really take guys out of the play. He's a powerful blocker. Speaking of powerful blockers, Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky, my number five interior offensive lineman, really your traditional mauler, a guy who is only going to play in a small area. You're not going to put him in motion, even between you know, one or two gaps like you might with John Simpson. But he's a guy who's really going to drive guys off the ball, powerful run blocker, and a guy that's really going to help a, uh, a team that really focuses on the run. You know, you mentioned the Tennessee Titans before. Maybe he's a fit for a team like that or a run-first type of offense. Tony, what about your top five on the inside? Yeah, I mean, back in October, uh, November, when I was doing the uh, pro day, uh, I'm sorry, the game day blog, live blog at for uh, Pro Football Network, I had said that Cesar Ruiz was hands down the best center in the country, and I thought he was worthy of a first-round pick. A lot of people laughed at me at the time, said that Ruiz was a fourth-round pick, a, a mid-day three pick. And I think right now the consensus is Ruiz is going to be the first interior lineman. I still have him as a potential first-round pick. He may end up in the second round, 
but he's going to be off the board by the 42nd uh, selection of the draft. I got no doubt in that. Uh, my number two and three guys are switched up. I have Matt Hennessy slightly ahead of Tyler Biadaz. I like Hennessy's size. I like his ability and motion. I do like Biadaz, but we'll get into a little bit of, uh, of news on him in a minute. Uh, I then my number four guy is John Simpson. Uh, you know, I basically parallel everything you said. I do like Logan Sternberg. He's my number six guy. My my fifth guy is Keith Ishmael of San Diego State, only because he was a dur- durable and productive and steady starter at San Diego State. There was some talk he was going to be short with short arms. He was six foot three. His arms were long enough. I think he's a tough guy. Had thirty reps on the bench. Ran. Didn't run the fast time at all, but you're not looking for that from a center. But he's a guy who can block in motion. He's very good on the line of scrimmage. Now, Tony, you teased out a little bit of news here, so take it away. Number one, uh, there is a good chance that Tyler Biadaz ends up going much later than people think. When I say much later, a lot of people think right now, second round. He could fall in the third round, even the fourth round. I'm told that there are medical flags that have popped up with his knee and his hip that have caused him to fall down a couple of team boards. So if Tyler Biedaz does fall down on, dra- on draft day, and right now I've got him as a second, third rounder, but if he ends up in the late third or fourth round, you know that's the reason why. There are a lot of teams out there, talked about Matt Hennessy, who project Matt Hennessy to guard. Not really that, uh, not that much of a surprise, but still, he was such a good center at Temple. There are some teams who think that have Matt Hennessy on their guard board right now. There are a bunch of teams that also have Robert Hunt of Louisiana, who was going to be an early day three pick. He played right tackle for Louisiana, but a lot of teams have him projected to guard right now. If you're looking for a sleeper, Dustin Woodward of Memphis He's a guy who could slide into the very late rounds of the draft. He's someone who was not graded before the season began. I had heard a little bit of chatter about him, so I reached out to a couple of teams that I speak with, and they say, yeah, Dustin Woodward of Memphis, someone that no one talks about at all, could end up in the seventh round of this year's draft. And that's it for the 128th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We're just two weeks away from the 2020 NFL Draft, even though it may not feel like it with everything else that's going on in the world. But we'll be back again next week to go over the top players on the defensive side of the ball to get you all ready for what will absolutely be the most unique NFL Draft probably ever. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. Stay safe. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.